Welcome to Valley Lights Church Online. The word missionary nowadays has come to mean someone that goes big distances to tell about Jesus Christ. But the most basic form of the word missionary just means somebody who's sent somewhere. When Jesus rose from the dead and he came back to his core guys, his disciples, here's the very first thing that he said in John 20, 21. He says, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Every follower of Jesus is sent. The question is just, where? He sends some people to far-off places, but most, most of us are just sent to the everyday places where we live and work. So whether your, farm, your assignment is really far off or it's close by, there's a distance that we must travel that's not measured in miles or feet. There's a distance we all have to travel. It's really the distance of isolation. It's more of a relational distance. We tend to get so wrapped up in our own lives that we just don't notice people around us and travel the distance. Travel the distance from us to them. Where does this isolation come from? Well, it begins with a fact. And there's a fact of us and them. Everyone is either an us or a them. <laughs> and these pronouns, they accurately identify distinctions between people and different groups of people. I'll give you an example. One time I went on a backpacking trip in Yosemite and we started up in Tuolumne Meadows, really amazingly beautiful spot, and we hiked uh, three or four days, about 30 miles, more than 33 miles, uh, down into the Yosemite Valley, which is kind of like the real popular spot that people like to go. Most of the time where we were, it was rugged and there was very few people around. It was um, just some beautiful backcountry. There's some people that we met along the way occasionally, people like us. And the closer that you get to Yosemite Valley, you start seeing more people. You get in range where people are making little day hikes from the campgrounds or the, their campsites, but they don't go too far. So when we're coming on to the last few miles of our trip, you know, after being out in the back country for days, you know, we come trudging down the path with the dirt on our faces, you know, we're, we're worn and weary, we, you know, our packs, we had measured down to the ounce, and we start walking by people on these trails that are wearing heels or carrying Pomeranians, <laughs> or they've got like a 10-pound camera that they're lugging around, or they're in these really nice, clean clothes. And I thought, you know what? You people don't deserve to be here. We are the true men of the backcountry. <laughs> You're all just a bunch of tourists. And then it took me a minute and I thought, wait a second. I think technically I'm a tourist too. <laughs> just a different kind. You know, to those hikers that we passed when we were deep in the backcountry, we were friendly. We, we felt a sense of camaraderie. You know, with those guys, we, we talked about the peaks that we hit or how long we've been on the trail or how many miles we've traveled. It's kind of like, you just kind of feel like you belonged in a group together. They were one of us. You know, the word us, it, it, it means that you belong somewhere. It, bling, it means that, you know, you've, you've got people. And it feels good to belong to a certain kind of group. And everyone else feels like outsiders. But if you were to put me in a different environment, though, let's say on a surfboard in the ocean. And I've tried it. I've, I've tried surfing a number of times. I've never impressed anyone. 
To other surfers, I'm usually a them, not an us. You know, we all have our groups, places where we're one of us and places where we're one of them. You can't have an us without a them. You can't belong somewhere unless you don't belong somewhere else. Us and them, they're not bad words. They accurately describe just the fact that we belong somewhere. It just tells us where. It was the same in Jesus' day as it is today. Sometimes the us and the them, it leads to a kind of relational distance or isolation. In Luke 15, Jesus encountered this attitude that's, that's really behind some of that isolation. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they muttered under their breath, Man, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Well, there's that word. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Well, who are, who are them? <laughs> who are they? They're tax collectors and sinners. The tax collectors of the day, now these were guys who contracted with Rome to collect taxes. In exchange, they would charge whatever fee they wanted on top of that. And they were really the worst of the financially corrupt because they would use the backing of the Roman guard to impoverish their own people. And then sinners here, this is in quotes because it's the term that was used to identify prostitutes. So, was it inaccurate for the, you know, these groups of people to be identified as them? Well, it wasn't necessarily inaccurate. After all, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they're pretty different. They were not them. But back then, and now still today, when you decide to follow Jesus, you join a group. You become an us. And those who have not decided to follow Christ become them relative to this new group that you're now part of. Us and them, they describe the fact that groups exist. The problem is not that that's true, but that we're just rarely content to stick to the facts of us and them. We have a tendency to develop an attitude toward them. So that's the second point, the attitude of us versus them. When I was on the trail, it, it would be one thing to feel camaraderie with the other hikers, but it's another thing to have a reaction of looking down on the non-backpackers. The Pharisees were not just making an observation about the fact that they're not like the tax collectors or prostitutes, but that, Jesus, that what they were saying was that Jesus had no business to associate with such awful people. The tendency, this is really a tendency with a lot of groups that we might be a part of. Our tendency is not to remain content to just be part of the group. We have to point out how we're better than the other groups. The reason is that it deepens our sense of belonging to those who are in the group. If my group is better than your group, then the fact that I'm in this group must say something about how amazing I am to be in this group. <laughs> I'm qualified. The tendency is for those in the group to raise barriers and isolate themselves from those outside of the group. And again, that increases the sense of belonging and it deepens a connection with those who are there. This is really what the Pharisees had done in Jesus' day, and sometimes it's what Christians tend to do today. That's why Jesus was such a shock to everyone. Rather than raise barriers, he lowered them. Rather than spend all of his time 
in the group. He spent large amounts of his time outside of the group. In the rest of this chapter, in Luke 15, where we read, Jesus explains why he did this. And he, he uses three stories, to, three similar stories to explain why. There's a story, a man with a hundred sheep loses one, a woman with ten coins loses one, and a father with two sons, and, and one of the sons leaves in the worst way. In each case, we find that what was lost becomes the obsession. The last story about the father and the sons ends with a conflict between the father and the son that didn't leave because they're having a party for the son that came back. The son, the son who left returns. And in this exchange with the disgruntled brother, Jesus identifies what's driving this us versus them attitude. It says, here, here's how the story goes. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But the brother, he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. Why is the older son so angry? He's been the better son, after all. And now the moral failure gets the party? What about me? Well, he's being arrogant and selfish, but doesn't he have a point? I mean, his brother did squander the family estate, and he left the older brother with more work to do. A party just doesn't seem fair. Well, he had a point, but he missed the bigger point, compassion. And that's really easy for us to do, too. As the years go by, we can forget what it was like to have life without Jesus. It's easy for us to start thinking about how much better we are than them. And the intention should not be focused on them. It should be focused on us. Well, in Luke 15, the story goes on. The father says, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. This brother of yours, interesting statement. The father is basically saying, I, I know what he's done, but he's not that much different than you. The older son, in a way, was rejecting his father too. It was the same thing the younger had, brother had done. The degree was different, but the path was the same. The truth is, you know, we Christians, we who follow Jesus, we're not that much different from them. So we can't be arrogant. We can never get that way. The only reason that you and I, if we follow Jesus, the only reason that we're in us is the kindness and mercy of God. And we can't be selfish. There's something much bigger at stake than just our life, our own comfort and convenience. The father said, you know, I thought this brother of yours was dead and now he shows up alive. He was out there wandering around and now he has come home. That deserves a party. This incredible reality about God's love for us is one of the reasons that we're going to be having a Lord's Supper service this upcoming week. A Lord's Supper is a gathering of gratitude to God. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit created a plan to redeem humanity. They were really the first ones to say us for them. 
they modeled this attitude. Jesus especially lived and died with that attitude. God is for you. That's something that we do celebrate. And before we launch in a big campaign, there's some big changes coming up in the life of our young church, which are really exciting. We have a grand opening and do outreach in a new community. Before we make those transitions, we wanted to take time and pause as a, as a congregation, as a family of God, and remember where our motivation comes from. It's going to be a special time of remembering Jesus' sacrifice for us. And during this service, it's called Lord's Supper, also it's called Communion, there's going to be a time to clear up any relationships that here, here within our church family that have gotten disgruntled. <laughs> Sometimes we Christians get offended at each other. We want to move into the next stage as, uh, of church life as a unified body. We want the us to be a place that the them want to join. So when we think about the broader groups of people that we live amongst, there's people all around us every day. You know, there's a lot of things that could be dividing us, a lot of ways to slice and dice different groups and ways to form these divisive us versus them attitudes. There's a lot of, there's a lot of dividing lines. So many topics are political and polarizing. And people take sides so quickly. It can be really easy to get quickly divided. But the people around us, even if they think or live or act or see differently, they're not just them. Really, they're people like us, who, and many of them, are lost and dead to God. And if they're not found, then they will die separated from God. And there's nothing, at that point, there will be nothing that can be done. So time is running out, and this is no time for us to get selfish. So what does Jesus expect of us in the way that we relate to them? It's really for us to move outside of our relational isolation. For us to rally toward the mission of us for them. As a church, one of the reasons that we exist is for the people that aren't here yet. In those three stories of something lost, Jesus is inviting us to put ourselves in the shoes of, of the widow who lost a coin, or the shepherd who lost a sheep, or the father who lost a son. I mean, what would you do? If you were a shepherd with a hundred sheep, and one of them wandered off, would you see it as an acceptable loss? No. You'd do what he did. He, he mounted a nighttime search for the one and go after him. Or if you were a widow, and all you had was ten coins to your name. That's it. And you lost one. Would you say, well, at least I've got nine. No, you turn the house upside down. You probably turn the house upside down for something less significant in your life. Or if you were a father and one of your sons broke your heart and left you, left the house, would you find comfort in the fact that, well, at least I got one son who didn't? No, you'd scan the horizon like him. The fact that something was lost trumps selfishness and a focus on the self. There was another time that I went backpacking. I've got kind of a lot of backpacking stories, and <laughs> this is a different one. At the end of another backpacking trip, one guy realized that he lost his phone. It was like a phone-wallet combination, and he lost it. He realized it at the very end. We were pretty sure it wasn't lost way up on the mountain, but we, uh, we started looking around for it all over around the car, and the bushes, and under the trees, up the path. We, we sprung into action, and uh, we couldn't find it. it. It took quite a while to find it. And finally, 
one guy, John, he comes running up the road with it held up in his hand like a trophy. <laughs> he was so excited. We were all, we were, you know, high fives all around. It was an exciting time. And this all happened at the end of a really difficult hike. It was uh, a multi-day hike. And at the time, it was really hot. We had just gotten back to the cars, and I was tired. So imagine the impact if I would have said to my friends, hey, um, I know you just lost your stuff, but I'm kind of tired. Do you mind it? Mind if we just hit the road? I can figure that out later. <laughs> I'm not sure if I would have friends by the time I got home. <laughs> In that case, the fact that something was lost trumped my selfishness. The story about the older brother is Jesus' way of looking at the Pharisees and looking at us and saying, really, with all that's at stake, you're going to go and get selfish on me now? Can't you see that the line between us and them Marks lost and found. As the church, as the people of God, we're not some club that you just join in order to get your needs met. We are part of the greatest search and rescue mission that has ever been mounted. God is doing this. He, he is the one that has sent us on this mission. If you've been found, you're following Jesus and you are now one of us. And now, like us, you live for them. And get this, the, mass, the, the, the big majority of them, you know, the people that are still lost, many of them won't come here on their own. The gathering that we have on Sundays or coming to a church website like this, and if you're listening online, most people, you know, th these, these gatherings and opportunities, they're open, they're available to everybody, but most in this community will not take the first steps to get themselves in place. We have to go to them. The shepherd would have never found the lost sheep just by making sure that the door to the fold was open. He had to cover the distance himself. The widow was not going to find her lost coin by just holding on to the nine. She had to get down on her hands and knees and search for it. And the father... The distance that needed to be covered was not in miles, but a softening of his son's heart. So every day he would walk out, scan the horizon, and I'm sure he prayed as he walked. He did this for years before one day his son came to his senses. Who are you faithfully praying for? Who are you searching for? Who are you getting down on your hands and knees and doing whatever you can to help them find a way to God? We're continually, as a church, we're, we're not just content to remain and gather just our group. As important as gathering really is, we're continually looking for ways to build bridges into our community, ways for us to break the isolation. We have to go to them. And one of the ways that we can rally towards the mission is to inconvenience myself. The reality is, an us-for-them mentality is going to be really inconvenient. <laughs> it's going to clash with my preferences and my selfishness. What might you need to change in order to disrupt? Or what might you need to change or disrupt in order to make your time and your resources about other people? I may have to change my schedule. I may have to do things at a time I don't want to or stay up later and get tired. Or maybe my kids won't have the ideal schedule that they ought to have, or maybe it means I need to spend my money on opportunities that I'd rather not. The usual approach to 
volunteering or getting involved or signing up for things or talking to people, usually the question is, what's good for me? That question usually is the big filter that we, our decisions get sorted through. How different would your life look if the question is, what's good for them? You know what's really inconvenient? Traffic. <laughs> you know, we, we probably live near the worst traffic in the entire country. And this is, this is LA County. When I'm out driving, I'm stuck in traffic. You know, I'm looking around at all these cars and I, I have to think, you know, I don't like this <laughs> one bit. But traffic means there's a lot of people here. A lot of people means a lot of opportunity. And people is why we're here. That, if I, if I think that way, that helps me look upon the rows of slowly moving cars with a different attitude, sometimes. <laughs> we might need to really inconvenience ourselves. Another way to move the mission forward, to rally towards the mission, is to strike up conversations. And this is really hard, especially if you're the kind of the per, um, oh no, unless you're the kind of person that works the room and you, just, you get in there and you start chatting up with everybody. For many of us though, you know, we'd rather keep our head down, avoid on co eye contact, and just do my thing. What if you sparked conversations with people around you, even strangers? <laughs> I rarely enjoy that first step of talking to somebody while I'm in line for coffee. But man, I'm always glad to have met someone afterwards to see what might come out of that conversation. You might also think through, who are the people that are them to us? And who are the people that are outside of my group? Who, who would I identify in that, in that way? Who are the people that are really different than me? How might I take a step towards connecting with them? Another way for us to rally towards the mission and to go to them is personal invitations. Who do you already know that might like to attend any of the things that we have going on at church? Who has God placed in your life now that you can influence toward him. You can take that bold step of making an invitation. You know, like a verbal, hey, sometime you ought to come to this thing. Um, those are people that you already know. But if you were to help us with this next thing, with distributing door hangers, this is the, the question is, who do you not know <laughs> that might like to attend what's, what God is doing here? Well, you don't know who you don't know. And that's why we use these flyers to find out. Really. Uh, these flyers in neighborhoods, this is an effective way to reach a large number of people who God's working in their hearts right now as we speak. So many people have said that our flyers were an answer to prayer. Another way to help, to help out is to help at our grand opening at Rio Norte Junior High. We're going to be moving in just a couple weeks to a new area that's really going to be in the path of many new people and families. The first few Sundays of our transition, uh, the more people we have helping out, the better, on, especially on those Sundays. Over time, we hope to get people plugged in, volunteering in, in areas that are really motivating for you. Uh, but that's another way to help out. And then finally, um, you can help at our sports camp. We're going to be doing uh, a camp that's going to be a bridge into our new community. Well, and some people at our church currently already live there, so it's a bridge into your current community. But this is going to be a very high-quality experience that kids and families are really going to enjoy. 
It's gonna be a big week-long community project. So let me show you a video again of what this can look like. So check this out. This camp that we're doing is going to be Monday through Friday, one week, and kids are going to learn a variety of different sports each night. It's going to be fun with prizes and dances and cheers and, and all, all kinds of fun and exciting things. And we're doing this to serve our community. Sports are a real high value in Santa Clarita. Parents love getting their kids, uh, especially to give them a taste of different things, uh, different kinds of sports. Also, we'll be able to get to know people. Um, you'll, I think we're going to have more meaningful conversations with people in one week than we would have in a whole year of just Sunday morning gatherings alone. The potential for gathering people is just huge at something like this. Also, we'll build trust with people. People love it when their kids have tons of fun. A big community project like this creates goodwill. Whenever we generate goodwill, it paves the way for the good news. So there's going to be a unique opportunity for us to share about God's salvation with people through this effort. Our move to have a grand opening in a new location and our sports camp are synced up. The camp and the move, they, they support our mission of making a positive impact in this part of town, in Santa Clarita. But there is something that you need to know about it. It's draining. <laughs> Imagine doing something really exhausting every night after your day job kind of gets back to that whole thing of inconveniencing ourselves. That often happens, but praise God, we've got a team of people coming from our sending church, coming to help out. We've received a grant from an organization that really wants to get behind what we're doing. You can help out every night or just some nights. There's a variety of roles. We need coaches uh, for athletic, different sports, or captains to stay with a group of kids throughout the week, add administration, registration things, all kinds of setup and tear down, guys to pull trucks of equipment, Everyone that's going to be involved will have to in inconvenience themselves in some way, maybe in some really big ways. But that's really what's at the heart of living us 
for them. For more details on these opportunities, check our website um, and sign up. Let us know if you want to help out in any of these things that we have going on. There, there's really a lot going on. This is an exciting time in the life of our church. There's a lot of ways to get involved, and I really hope that you'll uh, tune in next week or even join us in person for our first anniversary celebration. We'll be celebrating what God has done in one year since we got started. And if you're new to Valley Lights, you'll see an exciting snapshot of where we've come from. Others, you've been with us, you've been invested here with us for a year of your life. You'll probably see your face in some videos and photos. But we're going to capture some of the life change that's been happening, some amazing ways that God has been working. And as a church family, we won't be able to help but praise God. God is building something here. Again and again in Scripture, God said that He will build His church. He will cause His kingdom to expand. It's not retreating. It's on the, it's on the advance. God will continue building a remnant of committed followers in every generation. And no matter how long you've been attending Valley Lights, you can be a part of helping us build into the next stage. I hope you'll play a key role as we move forward together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all that you're doing in our church and in our city and in the lives of many individuals, people that are far from you and people like us that maybe we know you, but we, we, we still got a lot of growth to do and a lot to learn about living the way Jesus lived, seeing the way you, you see people, Father. Would you give us the courage to move forward, to advance, to rally towards the mission? Help us to really put down our own preferences and selfishness for something that's bigger, for others, the way that Jesus did that for us. Would you give us help and success in these big efforts? Help us to connect with the right people, give us the protection we need as we move forward. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hope you have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next time.